You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. I'm going to read a passage from Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and it says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm titling my message today, Persuaded persuaded if I were to ask you to go down to the local bank even though it's a Sunday just flow with me here okay if I were to ask you to go down to your local bank today and open up two bank accounts let's call them bank account A and bank account B and I asked you to do the following thing each time you disbelieved each time you doubted something or someone you had to put a dollar in bank account A. And each time you believed in someone or something, you had to put a dollar into bank account B. And I told you, you need to do this for seven days. For seven days, each time you had a conversation, each time you heard someone tell you a story, each time you checked your news feed on Facebook or Instagram, each time you read the news, each time you met with a family member, each time you prayed, each time you read your scriptures, each time you talked to yourself, each time you were exercised, each of those instances, if you believed, you had to put a dollar in account B. But if you doubted, if you mistrusted, you had to put a dollar in bank account A. At the end of the seven days, what kind of wealth would you have accumulated? Would you be wealthy in belief? Or would you be wealthy in doubt? I think that you would be surprised. I think I would be surprised. We would all be surprised at how much of our culture, how much of our society, how much of our surroundings actually drive us, drives us to doubt, drives us toward mistrust. Now, before you, you say, J.D., you're going down a street here, down a path that I'm not sure I'm willing to go with you. Before I, I make you think that I'm going down a path that's uh, uh, naive, let me, let me tell you this. I lock my door at night, okay? When I'm driving my car and I'm parking somewhere and I know I'm going to leave my car, the first thing I do is roll up the windows, make sure they're nice and tight. I close the sunroof. And when I walk away from my car, I press that magical button. My car is attached to the key. And I wait for that sound that we all love that brings peace of mind. Beep, beep. Uh-huh. Your car is locked. Everything in it is safe. I'm not, my message today is not about being naive to the evils of the world. My message today is not about being naive to people's bad intentions, to the capacity of people to commit evil. It's not about you being lax when it comes to your family's safety. But I, I do want to say this today, that you will realize this sooner or later. You, you will find this to be true sooner or later in your life, that every story of positive significance... 
Every story of positive transformation, every story of miracle. We were singing of miracles here this morning. Every story of positive transformation of someone who overcame something difficult is not built on the foundation of doubt. It's built on the foundation of belief. And belief is extremely important in the message of Jesus. If you go through the scriptures, you'll realize that many of the stories of bravery, many of the stories that we read of, of people overcoming difficult things, they are based on this foundation of belief. Even though they might have, even though they might have come up short in some of the virtues that we're encouraged to engage with, if they believed, if they had engaged with belief, if they believed God, if they believed Jesus, they overcame. And if you hear underdog stories even, those stories that we love to hear of people who didn't think they were going to make it. People who didn't think they were going to win. People who didn't think they were going to achieve. There's always a tipping point in the story where they, they, they start telling you the story like, I didn't think I was going to do this. I didn't think I was actually going to accomplish. I didn't think I was actually going to get that degree or going to win that race. I didn't think I was going to come up with that solution. But, and that's the tipping point. At one point, I thought, my goodness, I, we're actually going to do this. I'm actually going to make it. This is actually going to happen. There is a tipping point, even in those stories that are unlikely, where somebody comes from a place of doubt, skeptical place, into a place of belief. Now, why? Why belief? We see in Scripture, we see through the message of Jesus that belief is indispensable for each of us to achieve and become all that we were created to be. It's indispensable for you to live in your purpose. It's indispensable for you to tap into the things that you believe God put in your heart. Why belief? This is something that we miss sometimes. And it's a huge point about the message of Jesus. A lot of people think that if they're a good person, if they are loving, if they are kind, if they practice forgiveness, if they practice mercy, if they practice love, that should count for something. And it does. It does. It counts for something. It's very important. Those things are essential for our lives. Those things are essential for you to walk in the right path. But when you listen, if you listen closely, when you listen to the words that Jesus said, love, mercy, forgiveness those are commandments like it's not like we, we have to do them those are things like you got you you, you love uh, your neighbor as yourself you love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your mind you love your enemies when it comes to forgiveness forgive and you will be forgiven when it comes to mercy that passage that says that I prefer mercy to sacrifice so those things are things that we are, we are taught that we ought to do. But when it, comes to, when it comes to belief, belief is almost in, this, in, in its own category. Alina mentioned the story of Martha here. And it's an interesting story. If you haven't heard it, yeah, I encourage you to read it. But in that story, in John 11, Jesus did not show up to Martha after she was crying, after she was... Uh, in this situation where, where she was distraught because she had lost her, she had lost her, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting distracted by the white lettering. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm a little OCD, guys. If you go to the template, I'm sorry. If you go to the template and click on black on white, <laughs> it'll change that. 
<laughs> oh, gosh. I wish I wasn't so technically minded. <laughs> this is what's interesting about this story. When Jesus came up to Martha and he found it in that position, that situation of, there you go. Can you clap for the team? Amazing. Yes. <laughs> they might have to do that a few more times. Sorry, guys. When, uh, when Jesus came up to Martha and she was in that position, that hard, hard situation. She had lost her brother. And scripture says that Jesus loved Lazarus. He was his friend. He, this was a place that was safe for Jesus. These were the people that ministered to him. These were the people that took care of him. And he lost one of his best friends. He was in the tomb. Jesus didn't look at Martha and said, Martha, didn't I tell you that if you love, you will see the glory of God? He didn't, he didn't say that. He said, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And that she did. When Jesus was with Nicodemus, middle of the night, in the dark alley, because Nicodemus didn't want to be seen with Jesus. He was a Pharisee, and he didn't want to be associated with Jesus. Jesus said something to him that, that it's coined as the key verse of the New Testament. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes... Not whoever loves. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So why? Why believe? Because what that implies is that you can be a good person. You can be a good person. You can, you can love. You can practice forgiveness. You can practice mercy and still miss out on a big chunk of what God has planned and, and, and promised for us. A big chunk of your life. A big chunk of your purpose. I'm going to say this again because this is something that we miss sometimes. The conditional element in Jesus' message, in his proposition, is not virtue. Virtue is something that we ought to do. It's something that we're taught to do that's good for us. But there's a conditional element when it comes to belief. Jesus presents it as a qualifier, a key, and access to a new dimension, a new part of life, a new way of living that you enter in once you believe. Now, there's two things that's true about you and I. First thing that we all recognize is that we, are, we were made to believe. We were designed, we were programmed to believe. We all have this ability, this capacity in us to believe. And when we don't exercise it, we feel it. The second thing that is true about every single one of us is that our belief needs an object. It doesn't stand on its own. It needs some, you need something to believe in something to believe in or someone to believe in so that you can exercise it and we see that clearly in the life of Abraham many of you know about Abraham you probably heard about Abraham he's someone who is revered many religions of the world consider him or the three top religions consider him as an important figure but Abraham he was even though he's considered the father of faith he was 76 years old at one point and he was living his life. He was a wealthy man. He had accumulated a good net worth. But he was thinking about what he, who he was going to leave it to. And he didn't have an heir. He didn't have a son. He was childless. He didn't have anybody to leave it to. And then he had a vision. God came to him in a vision and said, Abraham, through you, through your offspring, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He goes, wait a minute, God. Hear yourself? Like, do you realize what's going on here? Like, my heir, 
The person that I'm going to leave everything to is not even my relative. It's my servant. This, this guy that is, is not, is my servant. He's not even my son. And God told him, that, that's not going to be your heir. You will have a son. Even though you're 76 years old. And if I, my calculations are right, Sarah was probably around 61. You will have a son. It's looked impossible. But here's what scripture said that after God said that he told Abraham this. Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed, Abraham, he believed the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to him as righteousness. Notice this. Abraham was counted as righteousness, not the moment his son was born, not the moment his wife became pregnant, 23 years later. He was counted as righteousness the moment he believed. It was when he believed, it was when he engaged with the vision and what the promise that God put in his heart. When he believed and embraced it and said, it shall be so, that's when he was counted as righteousness. Now, why is this important? Why is this element of belief so important because if we look at the beginning of it all in the scriptures and I'm going to go to Genesis and if you're in college here today just don't tune out yet okay if you're a millennial here and you're like JD seriously you're going to tell me about the creation story don't pull your phone out just yet just stick with me stay with me because in the Genesis story there is, there is a depiction that connects to you and I here today. If you know the story, there were two beautiful individuals who were living in the garden, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. And they were free to prance around and just enjoy the beautiful weather and all the trees and everything it had to offer. Everything was theirs. Everything was their domain. They could just have a blast. But God told them this, there is one thing. That I'm warning you against that you should not do. There is this tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat from that tree. Because if you eat the fruit of that tree, you will certainly die. And so they went on about their lives. And if you know the story, before long, there was a serpent. And scriptures make sure to, count, to, to describe the serpent as the craftiest of all the animals in the garden. And the serpent comes... To Eve, and look at the strategy. Just, listen, just pay attention. The serpent comes to Eve and says, did God really say that? Did he really say that you shouldn't eat? What, what, what was it? Can you just, and then Eve tells the serpent, yeah. Yeah, actually he said that if I, if I eat it, even if I touch it, I will die all gonna die and the serpent goes no no you will not die certainly will you will not die now if, if you're not a church person if you're here this morning and you're like you know that's 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 a story out there or whether you believe it you believe literally that there was a garden that there was a tree that there was Adam and Eve and they were happy there and then an actual serpent came and talked to them and said eat this apple garden was in Vermont guys Eat this apple. <laughs> this apple tree there. And if you do it, you're not going to die. Just try it. That, that conversation, that interaction, what was the serpent doing? 
It was planting a seed of doubt in Eve's heart. A seed of doubt in her belief in God. And if you look at it, this is how we realize for you and for, I, and for me today, this is how separation from God begins. It's when your belief system is attacked. The enemy will do that to you today. There is an enemy of our souls that is constantly fighting. And the only thing he gains is really your deception and your loss. And when God plants a seed in you, there's a different garden that exists today. It's the garden of your heart. It's the garden of your mind. And when you were formed, when you were crafted, when you were made, when God designed you, he put seeds in you. Seeds of creativity. Seeds of talent. He put seeds in you. Dreams, thoughts, abilities. And he put those seeds in your heart, in the, in the garden of belief, in your heart. Now what does the enemy do? He tries to pluck out those seeds with thoughts, negative thoughts. Negative ideas of really? Do you really think you can do that? Do you really think that you were made for that? Do you really think that this feeling that you have that God is, do you really think that that's God? Do you really think there is a God at all? Do you really think that you are going to do that? Are you going to accomplish there here and now in Stanford, Connecticut? Do you really think that that's going to happen? That's how he minds. That's how he steals the seed. It's subtle. And it doesn't help that we live in an era now, right now, in 2016, we live in an era where doubt and disbelief is elevated. Everybody elevates and values doubt and disbelief so much. It's elevated even to an intellectual status. And I can't say it better than Dallas Willard, the philosopher Dallas Willard, who's recently passed away. He wrote a book called Hearing God, and he put it this way. I just want you to listen to this because it's powerful. He said, the test of character posed by the gentleness of God's approach to us is especially dangerous for those formed by the ideas that dominate our modern world. We live in a culture that has, for centuries now, cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. You can be almost as stupid as a cabbage as long as you doubt. The fashion of the age has identified mental sharpness with the pose, not with genuine intellectual method and character. Only a very hardy individualist or social rebel or one desperate for another life, therefore, stands any chance of discovering the substantiality of the spiritual life today. Today it is the skeptics who are the social conformists, though because of powerful intellectual propaganda, they continue to enjoy thinking of themselves as wildly individualistic and unbearably bright. Isn't that so true? You might have a dream in your heart, something that God put in you. You might have something in your heart that speaks to your future, speaks to your life. You believe in it. You don't know how it's going to come to pass. But those are seeds that are in you that you want to nurture. And then someone comes along and says, a person or a thought, and says, really? And you just open the, well, if, you, if you're doubting, if you're questioning, you must know something. You must be smarter than I am. You must be looking at it from a different angle. But it's a lie. It's not true. Because nothing incredible in your life will be rooted in the, in the, in the ground of doubt. It will be birthed out of belief. So why belief? Why is this so unique? Why does belief matter so much? Belief matters so much for you today. 
Because in the same way that in the beginning, belief, disbelief, doubt caused separation between man and God. Today, by believing in his son, we are united once again with God. It is by belief that we are united with God as one. And your dreams can flourish. And the purpose of God in your life can flourish. And those things that you, that you have in your heart that you know you're meant to do, those things can flourish on the ground of belief. And I got to tell you, God has something amazing each and one of you I believe that with all my heart that you are not here by accident that you not, are not here simply because two people came together you knew a result of cells coming together and multiplying there's more to life than simply that and God has breathed his life into you now maybe you're here today and those thoughts, your ability to even believe in yourself, to even believe in what God has placed in you is long gone. Maybe you face some difficulties. You face some, some things that made you believe that or disbelieve in yourself. And I got to tell you, the way back, that's a hard place to come back if you're alone, if you're trying to believe in yourself. Whatever you've been through, the way back is to nurture the seeds that you have in your heart, your belief in God, is to go back to a place where you can believe. Unity with God. Because when you have unity with God, you have unity with yourself. You find your true self in Him. When you have unity with God, you have access to his virtues and this is what happens sometimes we try to find love and we think that through love we'll find belief no we don't love that we may believe we believe that we may love sometimes we try to find hope so that we can find belief no we don't we don't hope so we may believe we believe so that we may have hope we believe so that we may have forgiveness and it is through belief God will open up his virtues, and that we will be able to fulfill his commandments. So I have a question for you today. Do you believe? Do you believe that God is? Do you believe that he is who he says he is? Do you believe that you are the head and not the tail? Do you believe that you are who God says that you are? Do you believe that you are wonderfully and fearfully made? Do you believe that before he formed you in the womb, he knew you? You believe that you're not here by accident, that there's a purpose for your life. Do you believe? I do. I believe that for you and I believe that for my life because I've seen too many people having their ashes turn into beauty. I've seen too many people having their mourning turn into joy, into dancing. I've seen too many people being transformed. When my grandfather was a teenager, he was abusing alcohol, abusing drugs. He was living as any teenager, unsupervised and unguided by parents would do. He was just free as a butterfly and he was lost. What he thought was freedom was actually loss. He was lost. And he came into a, a gathering very much like this in the 1940s. And he was just impacted by the presence of God. And his life changed forever. He was changed forever from the inside out. And that's what changed my life, really. Because it changed my parents' lives and it changed our whole lineage. 
You may say, well, JD, that's a coincidence. That's just, you just found something that straightened him up. That's a coincidence. Maybe, maybe it is. But I choose to believe. I choose to believe. I believe because when I was little, my dad had ulcers in his stomach. And there was really no medication available for us. And we prayed, we believed, and he was restored. You might say, maybe he just got better. Maybe. But I choose to believe. I believe because my, my wife, when she was a teenager, she had a back problem. She had a lot of pain. And there wasn't much that he could do because she was still growing. And he believed. She put her hope in God and believed that she was going to be restored. And she's all better now. There's no problems. You might say, JD, maybe she just grew out of it. Maybe. But I choose to believe. I choose to believe. We saw together multiple women, multiple friends that we have. I can remember four right now off the top of my head who were diagnosed barren. They couldn't have kids. Just couldn't. And they chose to put their hope in God and chose to believe and they were restored. They're, they're raising their children right now as we speak. You might say, maybe it was a misdiagnosis. Maybe it was something else. Maybe. But I choose to believe. I choose to believe. Lakewood Church founder. Many of you know we come from Lakewood Church. We spent 10 years there. Pastor Joel Osteen Church now. But his mother, founder of the church, Dodie Osteen. In 1983, she was diagnosed with metastatic cancer of the liver. Sent home, given a few weeks to live. Her, one of her sons is a medical doctor. And he told the family, this is it, guys. We're done. We got to prepare to say goodbye to her mother. Still alive today. She's in her late 80s. Because she believed. Maybe you're saying, maybe you can, you can say, J.D., maybe she has a freakish genetic capability that in her late 50s she fought that in her body just, maybe, maybe. But I choose to believe. I'll give you one more, the last one. Last year, first week of December, it was a hard month for us personally. We... We were depleted financially. Everything was gone. We had invested all into this move and, and seeing the church flourish. And, uh, you know, a lot of our, uh, most of our, our personal expenses are covered by partners from out, out of town, partners that are supporting the ministry so we can do this full time. And uh, it was December. Not a lot of those partners had sent in any, any donation. And we were depleted. But these bills were paid and we had food in the pantry for a few days. But... To be honest, I thought, a little part of me thought, maybe this is it. This is where everything comes crashing down and we close the doors and we go back to Houston. I don't know. Maybe this is, this is where it all comes to a close. God bless you, Stanford. <laughs> and I remember being in my car and just praying. I typically don't whine. I don't complain to God because this is a decision we made. We thought about it. We prayed about it. It took two years for us to decide to move here. And... I'm not going to go to God and say, God, you know, it's on you. <laughs> no. And even though we know that we're obeying God, that we, we feel like he gave us a direction to come here and start this. You know, I've never like thought that it was fair because God doesn't owe us anything. It's God. And, um, but that day I was, I was a bit distraught that when, when we had a, less than $100 in our bank account. 
And it was a big deal for me because our, it was our first Christmas as a family by ourselves. It was just Alini, myself, and our kids. And first time as a family that we wouldn't be with Alini's parents or our in-laws. And I remember praying and saying, God, I, I don't know. It's been hard. You know, we, we are givers. We're tithers. We believe in the principle. And all our lives we've been, we've been diligent with it. And uh, could, you, could you cover this one? <laughs> Could you just step in? Now, I got to tell you, before I, I continue the story, I've heard stories of checks in the mail, okay? And if I had a, two bank accounts and I had to put some money in those bank accounts, one for trust and one for disbelief, or stories of check in the mail, I would be rich in doubt. Because every time I heard a story of checks in the mail, I'm like, that doesn't happen. It never happened to me. Who's going to send a check in the mail? You're embellishing that. You wrote yourself a check. But that week, that week, I checked the mail, and there is a check in the mail. $5,000 made to Alini and I. And when I showed to Alini, she busted in the tears. She busted in the tears because, <laughs> now I got I to tell you this. This was someone that I hadn't talked to in four years. It wasn't one of the partners. It was someone that was even in contact with what we're doing here. Someone I haven't talked to in four years. Last time I talked to this guy, we were playing together in church, just playing in the band. And now he's a lawyer, and he sends me a note and said, I've become a lawyer since, joined the firm, and the Lord has blessed me greatly. I hope this can help you a little bit. Like he was very modest in his dedication. I hope this can somewhat help your Christmas. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> are you kidding me? And then he wrote, I, I called him to actually to to say thank you man what's going on he wrote I came across your website and saw what you guys are doing in Connecticut and I was moved by God to just sow into you and this and, and then I called him and he said this is for you guys personally I'm sending some more stuff for the church and he's been a strong supporter this whole year of the church but you never know what God is going to do when you place your belief in him so yeah you can clap for that you can clap for that so you may say, J.D., maybe he's just a good friend. Maybe he just writes $5,000 checks to everybody. Maybe, and he is a good friend. He's an amazing guy. God bless him. But I choose to believe because I have been persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor evil forces, no height, Nothing can separate me or separate you or separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. And if you put your belief in Him, if you allow those seeds to grow in you, you will see a new dimension of life. See, we never preach here, give to get, or if you do this, you will get back. It's not an equation for self-gain. But if you devote yourself, if you devote your belief system, if you devote your life to this amazing God who loves you, who is committed to make sure that you will not perish, you believe in Him. He will take care of you. And my encouragement to you today, like I mentioned before, is that you be persuaded. That another word for belief is to be persuaded doesn't mean that you're believing in something that's out there. You are persuaded in your heart by something that you can put your faith, you put your belief into. That's the love of God for you. And if you do that, you will see Him.
begin to bring out those beautiful things in your life. And you will see your life transformed. Some of you, I said this before, and I really feel like some of you here, the reason why there are areas of your life that you are hopeless is because belief has been removed and you're living in doubt. Now you need to be able to believe in yourself again. You need to be able to believe on the things that God put in your heart and in your mind again. And if you can't prop yourself up on your own, I gotta tell you, He will lift you up. He will hold you by the hand and He will make you stand again. That's His promise for you.